Welcome to Beyond the Habit. Moving beyond everyday assumptions of what it means to be Catholic and live the gospel with two Catholic sisters. Who are trying to find common ground, create unity, and talk about real life issues. Led by two sisters of St. Joseph. That's us. I'm Sister Erin McDonald. And I'm Sister Colleen Gibson. And it's great to be together. Our episode today is all about economics and solidarity economy and investments and uh, a number of things. And so if you're listening to the podcast right now and you're thinking, oh, no, I don't know what any of those things are. It's OK. We're all going to go through this together. Join the club. Right. We are we're all on the same page. And uh, you you may or may not know that, you know, sisters take vows, vows of poverty, chastity and obedience. And so as two people who have taken a vow of poverty, Aaron and I will freely admit that we do not know a whole lot about economics. And so uh, today's topic is really interesting. We're going to have a really interesting conversation with our guest, Elizabeth. But we want to first give props to our friend, Sister Sarah Simmons, who actually brought this topic to us. It was not on our radar. That's one of the gifts of community is that often, you know, we might not know something about an issue. We might not be passionate about an issue. We might not even know that we would be interested in something. And then someone shows up and says, you know, I really care about this issue. I want to hear more about this. And so uh, that's how we got to today's conversation. And it's so rich. But as people who took a vow of poverty, we're all in the same boat, everybody. So don't worry. We're going to do this the right way. We're all going to learn together. Yeah. I have so many questions. As I was trying to prepare for our discussion today, it was very humbling. You know, here I am often with these delusions of grandeur, and here it is, this whole topic of um, ideas and concepts and theories that are completely foreign to me. And I'm immediately thinking, like, here I am, this sister with the vow of poverty, and I'm just over here wondering if, you know, if I have enough money in my nun budget for this month, you know, to be able to to buy myself a new pair of shoes to go to a family wedding in a few weeks. And so these big concepts of like global economy and, you know, how are, are how is morality and solidarity and preferential option for the poor involved in all that. But it's also powerful because there is a parallel, as I've been reflecting on our particular life as Sisters of St. Joseph and our associates and our partners in mission, that it is about the Gospels and it calls us to bring a different mind and heart and perspective to thinking about how we use exchange, you know, money and and consumerism. And I think our vows of poverty call us to lives of simplicity, to live simply so that others can simply live. And um, that I think really excites me, though, is to talk more about what does that mean on that sort of personal community and global perspective? Because for me, I I think about it in this personal one-on-one, me and God and our community, what does this look like to hold all things in common, which is what our life calls us to? What does it mean to really discern consumerism, which is often a real struggle point for me? I mean, how do I think differently about what do I need and what do I want? 
and what's essential and what isn't? And how is it that Jesus today among us in this world might make choices about single-use plastics or <laughs> about how to invest his 401k? You know, how how might that look? And so I think it'll be really interesting and eye-opening. And I, I'm excited to talk with our uh, friend from the economy of Francesco. And I think it'll really break open some great nuggets of wisdom to reflect on. And I, I suspect it'll be challenging as well. Yeah, I think, you know, Elizabeth is so knowledgeable from the Francisco Collaborative that, you know, she she's bringing so much and uh, a piece that, you know, so often we think about poverty on a personal level, you know, our personal interactions with money and that, you know, I've given up everything to follow Jesus to live this. And I think it's living simply, but it's always about living. And I think one of the things people often, a misconception about sisters um, is that, you know, we give away everything. And so that frees us up for a lot of things. But we also have this ability uh, to use our purchasing power. You know, we work communally, we invest in socially responsible ways. Um, Oftentimes, if you spend enough time with sisters, uh, they'll begin to talk about the corporation which means the congregation, but it's because we hold all things in common. Like you said, Erin, you know, all the money goes into one pot. And so we're able to make moves and invest in ways that encourage the world to do things in a more just way, to encourage solidarity, to stand on the side of those who have less, to help to change systems that really need changing. And I think it's one of the paradoxes of our life is that, you know, we give up everything and yet Sisters can also kind of be wheelers and dealers. You know, we use our money, we throw our weight around, uh, we sit on boards of of publicly traded companies uh, mm-hmm. and are able to say, you know, no, we want our investments to go towards the things that we believe in. We want our investments to be modeled on Jesus. So Jesus is 401k. If Jesus had one, where would it go? I think he has some good things in his portfolio. A lot of fish. He put a lot of money into yeah. fish. But Uh, I'm so excited for our conversation today. Me too. And I think it's great too that you underscored the socially responsible investing because I don't think that's expected from women religious, you know, and our congregations have committees of sisters and associates and consultants. And that is, you know, how do we invest our resources individually and collectively? So yeah, I think that's so important. So I agree wholeheartedly. And so let's talk to our friend Elizabeth today and see where this conversation goes. Today, we're going to be talking to Elizabeth Garlow, who is working at the intersection of faith, finance, cooperatives, and capital to build an economy rooted in solidarity. She's one of the co-founders of the Francesco Collaborative, which offers workshops and accompaniment to investors seeking to translate faith principles into cutting-edge solidarity economy investments with a deep focus on the Catholic community. Elizabeth also serves as a fellow with New America. She previously led impact investing for Lumina Foundation, served as a policy advisor with the Obama administration White House, and co-founded a Detroit-based nonprofit, Michigan Corps, which incubated new social enterprises. She studied economics and political science at Kalamazoo College and did her graduate work at Princeton University. In 2019, she was awarded an honorary doctorate by the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology for her work to build a moral economy through her involvement with the Economy of Community and Economy of Francesco initiatives. 
and her leadership in the realm of social impact investing. She currently lives in Michigan, a great state, with her partner, Paul, and her one-year-old daughter, Sophia. So welcome. It's so great to have you with us today, Elizabeth. Thanks, Erin and Colleen. It's really good to be here. Well, Elizabeth, we uh, are clear from the outset that we are not experts in finance, and you have such an impressive resume. And we were saying before before we entered into this conversation that we read it and we thought, we have a thousand questions about what this means <laughs> and, and what you do. And it was very humbling as well, because you're also talking to two sisters who are living with vows of poverty. So my biggest mm. financial question is like, can I afford these cute shoes on sale with my $100 monthly stipend? <laughs> um, so this is all very intriguing and kind of humbling and also, I think, really exciting. And so Colleen and I are both really um, looking forward to talking more about what is this economy of Francesco and what does this mean? So I think a great starting point is just the basics. Like, what is this? And could you tell us a little bit more about kind of the Economy of Francesco 101 for those of us who are just catching up with this great project. Absolutely. Well, the Economy of Francesco is a good place to start because it's a youth-led global movement that really kicked off when Pope Francis wrote a letter to young people around the world in 2019 that basically said, I invite you to be protagonists of transformation in this realm of the economy, which was really an invitation to recognize that the economy is what we make it. It is not some sort of artificial thing imposed from above. It's not a science that basically we can't influence. It is very much a human construct. And if you look at the root of the word economy, it's actually household, like tending to one's household. And so I think it's interesting for us to think about what kind of home are we tending to for ourselves, our communities and for our kind of big global family. So Pope Francis started this initiative back in 2019, and now a thousand young people will gather in Assisi with him for three days of kind of unconferencing time. It's going to be a really kind of decentralized, distributive way of thinking about how we come together across geographies, across ways of life, across different worldviews to construct a global moral economy that honors what Pope Francis has invited us to consider, which is how do we build an integral ecology? So how do we help you know, humans and nature live in harmony with each other and create an economy that really holds space for that and honors that process? That is wonderful, Elizabeth. And we're so excited that you'll get to be in Assisi. We were you know, reading through it and, and we realized that with the pandemic, you haven't been able to kind of gather, you've been doing this virtual thing that we've all been. That's right, yeah. For the last three years, there have been different people organizing virtually, but also in their kind of local economies. So for example, Brazil teamed up with Nigeria to create this Farms of Francesco initiative to support regenerative agriculture. A group of young academics in Colombia started meeting regularly to talk about alternative economics education. And here in the U.S., we've been doing a lot of work to support the company investors, people who stewarded assets you know, whether that be financial endowments or other types of resources to help them see what it would look like to invest those resources differently. How are these connections happening? I mean, how is it that Brazil and young people in Brazil and young people in Nigeria and young people in Colombia? Yeah. I mean, that alone is amazing. I work at a university and I have trouble getting (laughs) students to 
to show up and connect and, and network. And so I'm immediately awestruck by even just that level of being able to build community and yeah. connection. And so I don't know if you can just speak a little bit more like, how in the heck do you get folks connected across time zones and cultures and language and all of these complexities? Yes, yes. Well, I agree with you. I think it's, to me, it's sort of a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work when you see this kind of burst of enthusiasm and the resonance people feel with this call to create a new kind of economy. So when Pope Francis shared that letter, he actually invited people to enter into a covenant. So it was really kind of from the outset, setting this tone of like, this is about a covenant with each other. This isn't something that you do individually on your own, on your own, on your laptop. Like this is very much about a covenantal relationship that we enter into together and to, to really kind of look at the status quo, ask ourselves what's working, what's not working, for whom, not for whom, right? And, and bring that kind of discerning lens. And so practically speaking, there have been things like my colleague Felipe and I, we organized the first kind of economy Francesco call for the North America region. And we honestly thought we might get like a couple dozen folks to, to show up, but we put out the sort of topics that we were wrestling with, thinking about how does this kind of Catholic lineage that we hold and Catholic social teaching, what does it have to say about the economy today? And that very first call, we had 250 people join. And that was from just a lot of word of mouth, you know, word spreading. And it helped us realize that these topics really resonated and people really wanted a space where they could show, show up as their whole selves, their integral selves, and not this is my profession or my studies over here and my faith over here. Like, no, it's all interwoven in who I am and the lineage I carry from my faith tradition shapes how I show up in this space and what kind of future I'm creating. The economy Francesco also has these 12 villages. And these are themes that, that, that have been put forth that help organize across geographies. So the example I gave about the farms of Francesco was from this village created on agriculture and justice and people were reflecting on how does our kind of current economic construct influence the way we think about agriculture and agricultural production and honoring the land. So that's where these countries were able to come together. It really just shrinks the world. You know how Pope Francis talks about us all being neighbors and we're all, mm -hmm. you know, we're all connected. I think it's amazing. You know, we think about it in theory so often, but to hear it like, oh, it's happening. You know, it's happening on the ground. It's really amazing. Mm -hmm. um, Elizabeth, I wonder, now you talk about you and Felipe kind of, you know, receiving this letter and calling together, you know, kind of groups in the U.S. under the collaborative. Did you ever imagine that you'd be doing this work or how did you, how did you and Felipe end up as the conveners? Yeah. So Felipe and I were in our own kind of <clears throat> individual professional settings. So he was running a purchasing cooperative out of Washington, D.C. called the Community Purchasing Alliance. And I was um, doing impact investing for a foundation. And I think in both of those areas, we knew that there was more we actually wanted to be doing to integrate that work for a new economy with our faith lives and deepening and reflection and to just be more explicit about it. And so the two of us, along with three other friends, started meeting as part of a prayer group. And the nerds that we are, the prayer group was about Catholic social teaching and the economy. So we would bring a topic to the prayer group and we would reflect together. And then sometimes after the meeting, we'd go back and we'd write some shared reflections and then come back together. And so we just started this practice of coming together in conversation, 
going back, discerning, reflecting, sharing those reflections with each other. And it just kept deepening our rapport. And so it was while that group was meeting that the Economy of Francesco project was launched. And not long after, one of our prayer group members, Patrick, passed away very suddenly. And it was the very beginning of the pandemic. And I think his passing really sort of shook us awake. And we realized this is this is our like one precious lifetime. What are we living for? And Patrick had this beautiful reflection he was offering us on this journey of what he called downward mobility in his life. You know, there's this constant emphasis in today's economy for young professionals to like keep rising up in your career, make as much money as you can, make more, make more. And I think Patrick was on this very intentional journey of stepping away from some of that and choosing a simpler life um, in his community organizing work. And so his life, his example really kind of got got deep in our bones and we thought to really honor him, we need to take this more seriously. And so that's when Felipe and I started collaborating together um, in more intentional ways to start organizing workshops. would love for us to talk a little bit more about Laudato Si. You've referenced that in some of our other discussion, and it's such an important document, this papal encyclical. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are wondering, what is this papal encyclical business? And, you know, what is Laudato Si? And for those who are familiar, who have heard about it, I think it can really, you know, be referenced as like a being about care of all creation in terms of environment and earth. And so to hear about this economy of Francesco and these investing and finances and and banking was even for me a a great surprise. And I thought, well, isn't this, you know, fascinating and important to unpack because really the heart of Laudato Si is a lot about, you know, how do we as, as Catholics and as young adults, as people of faith, how are we called to counter consumerism and capitalism and a culture, especially here in the United States, that tells us the measure of our worth and success is based in how much money we make and, you know, how much, you know, how much money we have invested in the stock market and how big and fancy our car is. And these are the ways that we often are framing our lives. But yet the Gospels call us to a different way of seeing and thinking and feeling and invites our heart to engage in a different way. You know, for Jesus, who was at the table? What really matters in in our life? And, you know, how we live in solidarity, how we include others at the table, how we care for all of creation is essential to our call as Catholics. And so if you could talk to us a little bit more about how that Laudato Si papal encyclical really is is important when it comes to economy and money and finance, um, that would be really awesome. When I started looking into the role of the church and these papal encyclicals and the kind of commentary they offered on the economy, I just became incredibly fascinated because I realized that Pope Leo XIII had written this thing called Rerum Novarum on new things at a time when the Industrial Revolution was kind of sweeping into society, you know, changing ways of life, creating these factory jobs where a lot of injustices were happening. And the church decided rather than kind of side with 
uh, socialism or side with this emerging capitalism. Like we're going to actually look at these kind of time-tested principles of our faith tradition and offer a different way forward, which is was this reflection on solidarity and human dignity and the common good and like how do we center those principles and how we think about the role and function of the economy. And you fast forward to today and Pope Francis's Laudato Si is kind of seen by many folks as this latter-day rerum novarum. Like it's a new commentary for our time on wow, there are these big seismic shifts happening in the economy and in society. And it's very tempting for us to get into debates around these isms, right? And we still see it in today's politics, like capitalism versus socialism. And I think we have a long way to go. And we need people who can transcend those isms and not get lost in that, but really focus on like, what are the principles that we want to hold fast to and how we want to show up in our own lives, right? And kind of in a consistent ethic and how we live our lives and how we want to show up for other people. And I think your points about consumerism are an excellent example, because if you think about, and anyone who's kind of studied neoclassical economic theory, which is the sort of underpinnings of neoliberalism, which, you know, these are big terms, isms, but no, it's a philosophy that's still taught in most of today's universities, right? Anyone who studies those, like I remember in graduate school, like I spent hours upon hours doing these math equations to try and solve for individual preference maximization, right? It's like, as long as we optimize for everyone's individual wants, we'll get the best for society. And if you like, think about it, you're like, is that consistent with my lived experience? Is that how it really works? Like, not really. So let's start, you know, complexifying these ideas a little bit and recognize how important things like solidarity are. When I'm in deep relationship with you, and I understand your suffering and I make your suffering my own, like Pope Francis calls for in Laudato Si, and we enter into that deep relationship, it transforms us. We become different kinds of people. We want to build a different kind of society and hopefully one that can take care of all of us rather than having the sort of haves and the have-nots, which is what we've seen really transpire with kind of today's economic system. So not to, you know, get too nerdy on folks, but I do think that we have to recognize that these kinds of values of consumerism, individual preference maximization, like we have to challenge those because those are things that have been steeped in our culture and the kind of culture our economy upholds is one we may want to say no to, right? Pope Francis invites us to say no to an economy that kills, no to an economy that excludes. So it's a, he's inviting us to refocus on a different set of values and tell a different kind of story. So in 2017, I was able to join the Economy of Communion project, which is a, a lay Catholic movement started this initiative of businesses globally. And so Pope Francis gathered members of these Economy of Communion groups around the world. I remember it perfectly. It was on my birthday in 2017. We gathered for an audience with Pope Francis and he said something that just like shook me to my core, which is he said, look, it's very tempting to think that the way to heal the economy or create a different kind of economy is to be the good Samaritan. So to like tend to the folks that are hurt by the system. But actually what we need are people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and try to change the rules of the system. Because as long as we avoid the sort of structural critique that's needed, we will always have a system that includes some and excludes others. And we will always have a system that creates victims and I think this is especially true in our U.S. culture, where we have this kind of robust culture of philanthropy, right? You'd look back to some of the kind of 
industrial families in our country who really created incredible wealth and then set up these foundations and had this kind of culture of philanthropy, which in some ways was really good at and invested in collective goods like the arts and culture building. But on the other hand, we have this culture that still in some ways tries to patch over or put a bandaid on the deep wounds that our system continues to perpetuate. So I think we need to, especially here in, in the United States, bring a discerning lens to like, where are we being the good Samaritan and where are we showing up in ways that kind of challenge the rules of the system to the extent that they're creating harm? I think that's that's so important, Elizabeth, you know, even making the distinction about solidarity to say that, you know, solidarity is not just service to, you know, yeah. those who we're in relationship to, but it's about it's about building those relationships, but changing the system so that, you know, we can move forward as one to recognize that, you know, my life is bound up with your life. And so uh, I can't keep this system going if it's going to be to the detriment of you. But also it's also to the detriment of me. You know, this if the system doesn't work, it's of no help to anyone. Right. Um, and so how to make those changes. And I wonder, you, you've talked a lot about community and the importance of community and in your faith journey and, and in this journey of the collaborative. Um, so I think that's one thing I'd love to hear more about. But also um, this idea of like a solidarity economy, I think it's a term that we, we don't hear often. Right. Uh, there's no equation for the solidarity economy. Like you right. weren't figuring that out in your undergrad <laughs> uh, or your master's program. But what advice would you give to younger people, you know, our listeners who are in their 20s and 30s, um, who might be investors, but who are thinking about, you know, how do I want to live my life so that I can move towards what really Pope Francis is calling us to? I can move towards solidarity. So what advice would you give younger people who want to engage in the work of building a solidarity economy? Yes. Well, gosh, I mean, I'm I'm reflecting a lot about this in my own life um, at the moment, right? So the first sort of thing that I've really been thinking about is what does choosing a simple life mean? And the kind of radical countercultural decision that that really is or can be. So um, a lot of it might have to do with how we think about our everyday kind of choices around food consumption, where we get our food from, um, certainly things around, uh, you know, how we're living, our kind of impact our carbon footprint, our impact in the environment. And I think Laudato Si, and especially this like one month season of creation we're in, like I was at mass yesterday at Jesu Parish in Detroit and the the pastor there was reflecting on this kind of invitation of the season of creation to live simply so others can simply live. And I think that is just the reality, right? Like we're, we have to sort of make this countercultural decision to not hoard <laughs> which means letting go of the mindset of scarcity that we've been so trained in. And I've heard so many people say things like embrace abundance, embrace a mindset of abundance. And I've often paused and been like, what does that really mean? Right. And I think what it means for me is to try and be really intentional about how I'm cultivating community in my life. And what I've realized in the pandemic has actually really helped me realize this is that the sort of American dream as I've learned it in some ways, both implicitly and explicitly, is one of self-sufficiency. And this whole kind of practice in the pandemic of really trying to undo my narrative of independence and my tendency to be like, 
if so, like, so for example, my family, we all had COVID in June. We were home, we were super sick. We were isolated because folks couldn't come over and all three of us had COVID at the same time. And when someone reached out and said, hey, could I drop off groceries or could I drop off some medicine or whatever? I would notice that sometimes my first tendency was to be like, I'm fine. We're okay. We're good. And then I'd pause and be like, that is not an opportunity to build community. That is not allowing others an opportunity to, to offer me a gift and to build reciprocity. So even if I'm quote unquote fine, I should allow for this experience, I should allow for this exchange of mutual love to take place, right? Because it builds relationship. You know, and in the opposite way, how am I showing up to really be of practical support to others and try to push back a little when I get that response from them of like, I'm fine. <laughs> so I think these kinds of, you know, ways of building community that really go against these sort of narratives of self-sufficiency is important for us. And to do that wherever we find ourselves, like mutual aid is always local, right? So in some ways, I think it starts with our block. It starts with the people that are immediately around us. And then I think my third sort of piece of advice, if you will, is to just try to keep experimenting. So what are the ways in your life where you could experiment with an alternative ethos, an alternative way of thinking about, you know, the kind of lifestyle we want to live and create? Um, and that could be practicing the sharing economy. It could be trying to find ways to put goods in common, to live more simply. It could be about finding ways to make decisions in our working lives that allow us to hopefully, if possible, create space for care in our lives? Like, how do we want to show up as people giving and receiving care? I think so often we're on this kind of track of like, we work a lot of hours and then we try to squeeze these other things into our lives, right? And that's something I'm trying to challenge too for myself, especially as a new parent and as someone who lives close to my parents. Like, how can I make space to care for them in the ways that they really need from me. And I will say like, these are really tough choices and we're essentially, we're, we're trying to build a new culture and when we do this. And so I think to, to have the courage and the strength to make these kinds of choices is possible if we're in community with others. I think it's really hard to go it alone. And so this is where I think the Sisters of St. Joseph and other forms of community are so vital because you all can have this space to practice these countercultural values to storytell around them and in that way to shape the culture. Yeah, you bring up so many excellent points. And one in particular that struck me is around this notion that I'm in control. And, you know, this sense of like, I can take care of all things if only I just work hard enough. And that permeates all of our lives, myself included. And I also suffer sometimes from the delusion that I don't need anyone and I don't need you know, God, I got this. I'm, you know, smart and can work hard. But the reminder that we can't, these are the lies I tell myself and that no one can get through this life alone. We need each other. And our faith tells us that, right. you know, we, we need to be people of community, that we need to know and understand the interconnectedness with each other and with God. That, you know, I read a reflection recently the author of the reflection talked about how in God, life is received, not achieved. Um, and that really struck me and has stayed mm. with me because there's so much of our culture that tells me that my self-worth is bound up in how much I do and right. how much I make and how successful I am. But to remember that my worthiness, my dignity, my 
my being enough is is just exactly who I am. That God's mm-hmm. love for me is not contingent on how successful I am or how many hours I work per, per week. And I think it's such an important message because so many of us are caught in this cycle of like needing to achieve to feel worthy, needing to do and to be successful. And like we wear our busyness as a badge of honor of how important we are. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that we are all we are all loved and beautiful, perfect creations of God, just as we are, and that we are called to care for one another and be community for one another. And we are only as as strong and, and faithful as our ability to care for those who suffer the most among us. There's something I think really powerful in a lot of what you said, but that especially, I think it's a really common struggle for so many of us, especially in the United States, and I'm sure many other places too, but there's such a culture that puts our emphasis of self-worth and into the the doing. And, and again, I work with university students and that's so often the pressure that of people course. are under. It's like so much pressure yeah. to be the best, to be the smartest, to, you know, achieve and right, right. really just reminding people like you are loved, you are enough. I am enough. And I think that's so powerful, you know? I think many of us are in a little bit of an achievement hangover where we're like trying to unlearn the like achievement orientation and just to hone in and unpack your reflection on I am enough. You know, that is at the heart of what we ask people in the context of this like question of finance and investing. So the Francesco Collaborative is working with people to kind of interrogate how we think about finance in general, right? And this kind of propensity toward just accumulation at all costs, right? And Pope Francis constantly calls us to see the environmental and ecological devastation that is resulting from this accumulation and growth at all costs kind of dominant default. And the question that we like to ask is, what is enough, right? Because it's not the one that we are practiced in asking ourselves individually, our communities, our organizations, So we default to these practices. And in the finance industry, there's a whole network of advisors and consultants whose whole incentive structure, their whole compensation, everything is oriented around financial wealth maximization, right? And so, so many sisters, so many congregations of religious sisters have pioneered a different way of saying like, that's not our criteria for success here. And if we can ask ourselves this question of what is enough, you know, what, how much do we actually need sets a different North Star from the typical one. And I think the same is true for us individually, right? Like individually, we are all also on this journey of figuring out what is enough for me, right? So as these decisions come up around career and salary and personal financial needs and other things, like it's an ongoing discernment. And I would encourage people to be in dialogue with each other around that, in dialogue with trusted others, mentors and friends, because we need to have that conversation more. I think that's so true, Elizabeth. And I, I wonder if being a new mother, I mean, that you have, you know, you have a baby and a family, has that influenced the way that you view this enoughness or this, you know, this idea of abundance? How has that changed even, you know, in each season of our lives? It shifts the way in which we look at the world, you know, the relationships that we're in. I wonder how, you know, being a mother, being part of a family, being part of a, a little economy of solidarity, how that has influenced your view of the wider world. Oh my gosh. 
That's a very deep question, Colleen. <laughs> I could I could unpack that probably over my lifetime, but I would say that um, my daughter has been a really great teacher to me on, in a couple of ways. In one way, having a child kind of like accelerates this narrative of like, you got to make as much money as you can because you got to pay for their college and you've got to set them up for success. And it's no longer just you. And it's like, it's this kind of frenzied, panicky sort of way of thinking about financial stability. And I'm actively trying to reject that, right? I'm trying to say, you know, what's important is creating space for our relationship to develop and bond and for the relationship to flourish. And if I spend all my waking hours <laughs> head buried down, right? Like I, I recently, I moved um, back to Michigan from Washington, D.C. last year. And it was like very typical in government there to work 78 hour weeks. And I think a lot of people still try to keep that pace while they have children. And it just didn't seem sustainable for me. So I think making the kinds of hard decisions that create the space for these relationships to take root and to flourish have, have been important. I mean, the other thing I often think about is how am I living my life in a way that really shows this kind of integrity of self and this integration of all these different parts of me and all my different loves so that she sees that as she grows and as she ages, right? Like I can't stand here and preach one thing and then go and live my life in another way, right? And so I think bringing children in to the world does kind of invite us to really go deep and think about, am I living my life in a way of integrity such that I would really want to, to offer her as an example? I think that's so true. I mean, you know, the family is the first place of learning and, you know, mm. it's, it's the people who mentor us, our parents who, you know, give us an example to follow. And so I think that that resonates so deeply, that sense of, like, you know, am I doing this right? And nothing, there's nothing like a child to keep you honest because keep they'll, they'll tell you <laughs> one way or another, they'll let you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think about as I watch her, you know, uh, waddle about, I think about how sort of fresh and unformed she is by our current kind of capitalist culture and how beautiful it is in a way. Just her way, her curiosity and her way of being in the world teaches me a lot. Um, about how I want to be in the world, you know, and to not let the sort of cultural constructs of capitalism and the things we've been talking about, this kind of consumerist ideal, be the thing that shapes me and shapes my sense of worth, right? And so I think the littlest children, it's like Jesus in the gospel, always calling the little ones in because there is such a, there's such an innocence and a purity of being that we see in little ones. Thank you. And I have one last sort of question thought before we move into our, our lightning round, but you mentioned discernment and yeah. that is so important to us as vowed religious, to our associates, to people of faith, um, Catholics everywhere, that, that that is so important. And I don't know that that's a word that I imagine. I mean, what do I know? I don't work in finance or economic anything. I mean, I have a hard time balancing my budget in our house. So you, but are, like, you are practicing economics, Erin. Yes. <laughs> yes. So there you go. But, um, but I don't think discernment is a common word yeah. in the world of finance. Discernment yeah. in the way we mean it from this, this faith framework. Um, and I, I just wanted to name that because I feel like that is so essential that as people of faith, wherever we are, 
whatever ministry we're doing, whatever field we're in, how are we bringing a heart, a spirit of discernment to that, of really reflecting deeply, um, bringing our framework of who Christ calls us to be, how we're called to relate to one another, how are we bringing those values as a lens for seeing the world around us, including the ministry we're doing. And that really struck me, that word, and and especially in this larger context and how I suspect that that's not a common practice in the business world is to really have a discerning heart. And Mm. sort of makes me think of like our Catholic social teaching of preferential option for the poor. And so that's just really powerful. And I wanted to name that. And I am very excited to reflect more on, on what that could look like in this movement of economy of Francesco. So thank you for for breaking that open and bringing that forward as a parent, as a woman, as a Catholic, and as an overall just amazing human being. So I don't know, Colleen, shall we move into lightning? I think so. You know, we've talked about discernment. You've given these beautiful answers, Elizabeth. And now, you know, we're going to put your economics training to the test. (laughs) Buy, sell, quick fast yes. uh, answers to these questions. So it's just whatever comes to your mind so that our listeners and we can get to know you a little bit better. So the first one, uh, Elizabeth, how do you take your coffee? I just got this new frother and I put almond milk in there and it gets super frothy and I add that to my coffee. Nice. Fabulous. So if you could sit down and have coffee with any saint, uh, and who would it be and why? Hildegard von Bingham. (laughs) So good. The mystic also like was my perfect role model in the pandemic because of the way she was able to like preach from her window. (laughs) Love it. Well, you think about it, Zoom's like a little window. So you were just doing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What was your first job, Elizabeth? Um, A lifeguard (laughs) when I was. 14. Um, and even before that, though, I did all sorts of odd jobs with my mom around town in Muncie, Indiana, where I was growing up. Elizabeth, do you have a favorite word? Well, I think growing up, my mom and I used to sing Mary Poppins' supercalifragilisticexpialidocious a lot. And so that's probably still my favorite word. Love it. It makes you smile when you say Other than that, solidarity. Solidarity. You know, the other thing that I was just reflecting on, sorry, I'm going to give you three now. Um, Religion is like the root of religion is religio, to tie back together. And so I've been thinking a lot about what's the role of religion, the evolving role of religion in our society today, right? Like what are we tying or binding back together in a time that feels like there is so much brokenness? If you could learn a new language, what would it be? Um, I would love to learn Arabic. Yeah, I live in a community that has a lot of Arabic-speaking folks, and I just think it would, yeah, deepen my local connections. And maybe one last question for you, Elizabeth. Just what's one thing that's making you hopeful? Oh, gosh. Well, uh, you all, for sure. So I've been working much more deeply with women religious um, around the country over this last year. We run these Livable Future Investing workshops, and we have congregations join us. And the ways that women religious are showing up and asking these harder questions, like what is enough in society is like just so enlivening and exciting to me because I think we need a new moral imagination for what the future looks like. And I think 
congregations are just an amazing kind of, you know, experimenting ground for that. Oh, well, Elizabeth, thank you so much. We didn't, we didn't ask that to get a compliment, but. No, but it's, I love, I, I love working with the sisters. It's my favorite thing. It really is. <laughs> thank you. And we love working with you and it's together that we can generate great ideas and creativity and, yes. and hopefulness and, you know, I believe that it is in the richness and beauty of our diversity of, of gifts and the different ways that we tend the flame of our, you know, charism and our faith that can just, you know, break open so much newness and, you know, life. Uh, so, yeah. So thank mm-hmm. you. This has been amazing. It's been wonderful to share this time together. And since we both live in Detroit, we'll all look forward to, Let's to grab seeing coffee. You. Yeah. I'll have you over for coffee with almond milk. This has been a real joy. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, thank you. It's been great. Thank you, Elizabeth. All right. Wasn't that an exciting interview with Elizabeth talking about the economy of Francesco? And now Sister Colleen um, and I and our friend Sister Sarah Simmons are going to take some time to unpack what we just heard and reflect on things that touched us and inspired us. So I'd like to introduce Sister Sarah Simmons, who is a sister of St. Joseph as well. Um, And she's also an integral part of our podcast team. And so we're excited to have her here with us this afternoon to reflect on what we just heard. And especially, Sarah, to tell us about how you got connected to this incredible group in the first place, because I imagine that's a really fascinating story. How did you find the economy of Francesco and why is it meaningful and significant for you? Yeah, thanks, Erin. It's always so good to be with both of you. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I've been um, I've been connected uh, with Elizabeth and Felipe's work for, you know, a few years. And it sort of just randomly happened uh, because the community organization I was working with Um, said, hey, we're going to participate in this thing called the economy of Francesco. And I didn't know anything about it. I'm not an economist, you know, so like I wasn't paying attention to it. Um, But I started uh, going to their meetings and it just fascinated me about building an economy of solidarity and what that would look like. And so really the way that I built relationship with uh, with Elizabeth um, and Felipe especially was they asked me to do a small group discussion in um, in one of the meetings that they were having um, throughout the U.S. So it was on uh, a Zoom meeting. And obviously, Elizabeth is brilliant. I mean, like, she's like, you know, it's just amazing, like finance, investing, like all of this language that I have no clue about. Like, I just have no clue. But they were really interested in the vow of poverty that we take as sisters and how I got to that point of, of taking a vow of poverty. I mean, you know, I owned a house and, you know, had a full-time job and the 401k and the car and like all the things that, you know, uh, you're supposed to have that would make you happy. And like, I, I didn't find that. And then all of a sudden I like gave it all away, you know, and, you know, entered the, the, community. So, so they were interested in that. So what we were talking about in our, in our uh, small group was about money stories 
so what's our relationship to money? Uh, how did you grow up? What was our, you know, because we don't often think about the fact that we do have a relationship to money. We usually think of it as just like this thing that we have to use, but we actually do have a relationship to it. And so we had an opportunity to share our money stories about what money means to us, how it's played a role in our life, um, if it brings us happiness. Um, and so I told this story to our small group about uh, when I like first got a full-time job. And for me, money is all about safety. Money equals security and safety. And it always has. That's how I grew up. And I remember thinking to myself, when I get $500 in my savings account, I will feel safe and I'll feel secure. I got my little nest egg and then I'll feel fine. And then I got that $500 and then all of a sudden it was $1,000. Okay, so once I get $1,000 in my savings account, I will feel safe, secure, everything will be good and I won't have to worry anymore. But then it became $1,500. And so I got to this point where I realized like how much is going to be enough for me to feel safe. And then realizing that there's no amount of money that'll ever make me feel secure because money doesn't equal security. Um, and for me, like really the security and safety come from God, from my own prayer life and from trusting in something outside of myself and not something that's tangible. So I think that that's what I love about the economy of Francesco is they're asking sort of not only these big questions that Elizabeth was talking about, but really about like, how is it personal and how, what is my relationship to money and how do I create security that is not based in financials, but based in relationship and based in our own Catholic identity. I think that's so important, Sarah. I mean, that that idea of, you know, what is enough and like asking that question, like realizing it's a vicious cycle that like I'm just kicking the can down the road that like if if money is what makes this enough or makes me enough or makes me safe and secure, like, oh, there might be a larger issue there. And I know in our conversation, Elizabeth talked about this idea of like the American narrative is self-sufficiency. And so like, I should be able to provide for myself. And I think we, we often fall into like that pitfall of, oh, am I providing for myself? And I, I even find, you know, as I do different things out in the community, you know, people say, oh, well, how much do you want for a stipend? I'm like, oh, well, I need to, I need to earn my keep in some way, even though I'm part of a community that pools our resources and everyone is provided for from that. But it's, it's that narrative. It's like the old tapes a tape of, you know, capitalism and consumerism of, you know, oh, am I providing for the community? Um, but also, am I enough? Like, am I enough? Am I holding my part in this community? Um, so I think it's really interesting. It makes us look, you know, I've never thought about the money story of my life. And and how do I tell that story? How has it influenced me? So I think it's really fascinating for you to bring that to the fore. Um, and that the vow of poverty is about more than just money. 
Yeah, exactly. And I love what you, I love what you just said, because it's like, am I enough? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It's like, uh, we tend to objectify ourselves. We have to earn our keep. Then all of a sudden we become what we do or what we can provide. And that's not, and that's not where our value is. You know, our value is our being who we are and, um, and how we are in relationship. You know, another thing that Elizabeth and Felipe uh, connect a lot with cooperatives. And I love this model of cooperativism because it's all about relationship and community. And um, it's not necessarily valuing the amount of money, you know, like my value doesn't equal the amount that I'm getting paid. But my value is how are we not only looking at financial value, but the value of relationship, the value of everybody being able to have what they need and offer their gifts. So I I just love that model of cooperatives and how they're sort of building that network, um, you know, to to show that that we're so much more than what we do. And Sarah, thank you so much for being a valuable part of our team. You know, your worth is not what you do, but just who you are and what you carry with you. And so uh, we are so privileged to be able to work with you. And this has really been a blessed conversation, this on top of our conversation with Elizabeth. So thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Thank you. And I didn't even have to pay you to say that. That's really nice. Money (laughs) doesn't matter, Sarah. It doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the conversation and yeah, I mean, it's just an important topic of like, how do we decenter from, from doing to being so thanks. You've been listening to beyond the habit. If you've enjoyed listening to us today, be sure to subscribe so that you'll never miss an episode. We appreciate any kind reviews you'll leave us, and we hope that you're following along on social media. You can also send us an email with questions or comments at beyondthehabitpod at gmail.com. Thank you again to our wonderful guest, Elizabeth Garlow, and thank you to our sister, Sarah Simmons, who's part of our production team and who also joined us for our conversation this afternoon in unpacking our interview with Elizabeth. Thank you as well to all of those who helped to make this podcast possible, especially our congregations, the Congregation of St. Joseph and the Sisters of St. Joseph of Philadelphia, our sound editor, Angie Hayes, our music composer, Matthew Dolan, and our producer, Elizabeth Powers. We had a great time talking today and we look forward to sharing more conversations with you next time. God bless. Bye. This is 401k. If Jesus had one, where would it go? I think he has some good things in his portfolio. A lot of fish. He put a lot of money into fish.